Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring the psychology of belief. My guest is James Alcock, professor of psychology at York University in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He is a fellow and member of the Executive Council of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, formerly known as PSYCOP. He is the author of several books, including Science and Supernature, a critical appraisal of parapsychology. Parapsychology, Science or Magic. He is also co-author of An Introduction to Social Psychology and author most recently of a large volume called Belief, What It Means to Believe and Why Our Convictions Are So Compelling. Dr. Alcock, as you can probably tell by now, is a major critic of parapsychology, and I'm hopeful that we'll have a second interview in which we discuss parapsychology specifically, but our focus today will be on the psychology of belief. This interview is being conducted via the internet, so now I'll switch over to the Skype video. Welcome, Jim. It's a pleasure to be with you. You've written an enormous book about the psychology of belief, and I see that in in the introduction, my old friend Ray Hyman uh, stated that this could be a general book about psychology as a whole, because you touch upon sensory psychology and uh, social psychology, the psychology of religion and uh, perception and sensation, many aspects of psychology. So, uh, there's an awful lot to talk about. I know we'll only just begin to uh, skim the surface, but you start with a very important point, which is belief systems are very often a matter of life and death for people. Absolutely right. People, uh, I mean, every year in this country, I see the statistics in the United States have, have gone up dramatically. People commit suicide by the tens of thousands in the United States. And, of course, they do it in the belief that this is the most reasonable way out of their their problems. And they, if they if they believe that things are going to change tomorrow or the next day or that they'll be happy a month from now, then they would view that decision very differently. One of your big focuses is uh, not only are beliefs necessary and important, uh, but they can also be fatal if uh, people cling to beliefs that are not factual. Absolutely right. In fact, you know, I give some examples of uh, of uh, people throughout history in the name of religion committing suicide en masse mm-hmm. because they believe that this is going to lead them to a, a better world, a better existence. And we see that even in some modern cults where people have committed mass suicide, not because they're depressed, but because they think that this is a, a way to a, a very happy, uh, everlasting life. There are very few uh, psychological factors that are so powerful that people would be willing to take their own life uh, as a result of them. That's that's right, and I, you know, again, I use the example of uh, uh, of, of a person who is uh, about to be interrogated by uh, 
by some authoritarian regime. Let's use the, the, the examples in Nazi Germany. You know, a spy is captured. He knows he's going to be tortured. He's going to be forced to give up names of his of his uh, colleagues and so forth. And he hears the boots in the hall and he takes his cyanide pill. If, in fact, as I, I mentioned in the book, this, this happened, these are the boots of a liberating army, he has badly erred in his beliefs, and he's made a decision that seemed rational at the time, but was completely irrational given the, the truth of the situation. And that's the point, that our, our beliefs, we, we often take them as truths, but the correspondence with truth uh, varies a great deal. Sometimes they, our beliefs are accurate representations of truth, sometimes they're, they're totally off base. I, I think it's important to also bring up, especially in my country, less so in yours, uh, there's an enormous uh, political polarization. They talk about the two major political parties being in different silos, as if they, their belief systems are so different, they, are, they hardly talk to each other anymore. Yes, it's very sad to see that as, as someone outside your country. It's, it's sad to see this you know, what was the best you know, democracy in the Western world uh, being reduced to this, this pair of warring factions where one person's truth is another person's fiction. I mean, it's just quite remarkable to see how the same supposed facts can be interpreted totally differently by, by two sides. Mm -hmm. Well, as a, a specialist in the psychology of belief, how do you account for that? Well, it has to do with, uh, you know, we, ultimately most of our beliefs are based on trust, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's, whether it's basic ones such as the world is a globe because none of us really have the, the means or the opportunity to actually test that out. We're taught that as children. Everyone says it's true, so we, we don't challenge it. But, but, uh, but ultimately if we look at, um, day to day news reports, uh, do we trust the person who is making the news or who is t reporting the news? And I think that's where the big difference comes in. So if you were uh, to listen, say, to reports on American politics on the Fox News Network, you would be assured of truths that would be totally opposed on in, in discussions on, on the CNN network. Mm. And so people tend then to gravitate to a particular source and trust that source and as long as the source is is uh, uh, is loyal to the overall values of, of of the of the listener, then that becomes the purveyor of, of truth for that person. Mm -hmm. Now I know there have been many studies in social psychology that that suggests once a person has uh, established a belief system and they are confronted with facts that would contradict their belief system, the the tendency is to ignore or deny those facts. Well, that's right. We all like consistency. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, one of the things I try to point out in that book, and it's always been important to me to point out, is that, um, you know, it's easy to defend the, the notion, it's easy for people to defend the notion that there are the the hard-nosed rationalists and then the, the soft people who believe in everything. Yeah. My point is that we all have the same flaws in our thinking. We all have the same tendencies. And one can be a hard-nosed skeptic for example, about parapsychology, and be making the same kinds of logical errors that a, a believer in parapsychology is, is, is making. And, and the, this, the skeptics sometimes don't see this in themselves. Mm -hmm. and so every one of us, I'm sure, has beliefs that are, are pretty shaky, but they seem like truths to us. And if someone attacks a basic belief, there, there's a natural tendency to want to defend it. And, and part of the problem is that beliefs are interconnected, mm -hmm. right? So 
I mean, an, an easy example is something like, uh, uh, say, belief in, in Roman Catholicism. So if you if you believe that the Pope is infallible, or if you believe that the rules of the Catholic Church are dictated by God, etc., and someone says, "Look, come on, think about abortion. You know, it's, it, maybe we should uh, maybe we should take that not to be a a, a, a a mortal sin." And if you say, "Okay, I think you're right. I've listened to the rationality in this. I'm I'm going to change my mind." Well, if you change your mind on that, what about the notion that priests should be able to marry? What about the notion? And how many other things do you have to change if you're going to maintain consistency? And so it's generally easier to avoid that problem by rejecting the challenge to this one particular belief. So really what you're talking about is a whole worldview. Their beliefs get interlocked like a crossword puzzle. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's true for all of us, although we often don't notice it. I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the great thing about the human mind is that we can all manage to look at ourselves and think of ourselves as rational. You know, it's, it's funny, uh, one never meets a person who says, you know, I'm a pretty irrational person, but listen to my arguments anyway. In the same way that I've never met a, a, a bigot who says, by the way, I'm a bigot, but let me tell you what I think. No, no bigot, in our view, really thinks of himself or herself as a bigot. They think of themselves as reasonable people. You point out that there are many ways in which uh, humans are capable of uh, self-deception. Yes. Uh, for example, just the, the basic uh, sensory mechanisms that, that we have are not always uh, perfect by any well, means. No, and in fact, most people, unless they've studied psychology, aren't aware that, that our perception is, is a construction, that, we, that our brain actually builds a model of what's going on around us. Mm -hmm. and, and the way I like to think about it, in a sense, is that here's our brain stuck inside this bony cavity inside the, the skull, and it has these sensors. The eyes go out and gather light, wavelengths of light. The ears look for vibrations in the molecules that pound against the eardrum. The, the taste buds, the olfactory system re react to molecules. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we're getting these these... Uh, these measures of what's going on outside the world, and, and we, we build an image, but our brains are so good at it that even though the image is inside our heads, we can exteriorize it. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if you or I look out uh, at, a, at a crowd of people, uh, uh, we see them as being outside, whereas rationally we know the image is inside our head. Mm -hmm. so, so these are constructions. Most of the time they're accurate enough that they work for us. So if you uh, go into a revolving door. You don't hit your nose against the glass because your 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 perception, your 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 construction of, of of the real world is good enough that you can you can navigate well. But 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 we're open to errors, and one of the reasons we're open to errors is because of the computing power of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. Because we you know as one psychologist once said, we we go beyond the information given. We we fill in gaps. We 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 extend notions of. Of, of distance and so forth. And that gives us tremendous power in navigating the world, but it also leaves us, leaves us vulnerable to error. And, and mm -hmm. so, uh, um, there, there are times when we can be absolutely certain that what we're seeing is what's there and we can be absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. Although most of the time, 
things work pretty well. I know uh, in the field of neuroscience, one of the big issues is what's called the binding problem, that we've got a uh, hundred billion neurons in our brain, and, and they're all processing information uh, uh, in various sensory inputs, and it, somehow the brain has to make sense of all of this, and it, it does that, I think, by eliminating a great deal from consciousness itself. Well, that's right, and our, our brain... The, the, the perceptual system has to be very selective. And sometimes we can be aware of that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, a person sitting uh, listening to uh, a, a program on the radio isn't going to be aware of the pressure of the seat against her bottom un- unless one points it out. Yeah. Or if there's an air conditioner going on in the room, you won't be paying attention to that sound. But once someone points it out, you can switch your attention to it. So the brain is always making decisions about what's important, what's, what's worth focusing on right now, because you can't focus on everything. And that, that, again, works very well most of the time. Although at times we end up not seeing things that are right in front of us or uh, in other situations thinking we see things that aren't there. There's a big issue in the field of psychology uh, about memory and, and false memories, how uh, memory seems to be particularly uh, elusive. Well, yes. And again, you know, we all, we, we, we grew up with the experience that, that, that memory is an accurate record of what happens. So if you think about what you uh, had for breakfast this morning, you can imagine yourself sitting down to toast and coffee and so forth. But on the other hand, if you know, if you close your eyes and try to picture that scene, you don't see your nose in front of your face. You don't see the room moving every time you move your head. What you see is a stable image, typically from above and, 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 and a little bit behind, because your brain is recreating that image in the most efficient way. And that's sort of from above. And, yeah, and that's something you've never seen before. It's a construction. It's an mm-hmm. invention. Mm-hmm. Again, most of the time this serves us well. But we know from studies in psychology that... It's very easy in some circumstances to to shift memories so that when the next time you remember something, there are elements in it that never existed, that never mm-hmm. occurred. Mm-hmm. Now, I want oh, go ahead. Sorry, even even just thinking about an event. If if you know someone you were at a party a month ago and someone says, "Was Harry there?" and you say, "I don't I don't remember seeing Harry," and someone says, "Well, I'm pretty sure he was there." If you think about it enough, it's possible that a day or two from now you'll remember Harry having been there. And, 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 and I can't say for sure that would happen, but we know from psychological studies that it does happen. There's also the whole question of priming, that subtle suggestions uh, actually affect uh, what we think we see. Absolutely. And again, that's again, uh, bears on, the, on the, this reconstruction that's involved mm-hmm. in memory. Yeah. So you're taking various elements plus that suggestion. And even the questions, you know, have been studies that uh, I'm sure you're aware of where uh, studies mimicking a, a courtroom situation where where a lawyer asks a question in a certain way, was the person wearing a red sweater? Well, you may not have remembered what the color was, but just the question itself may cause your memory now to shift to the point where you say, yeah, it was a red sweater. Mm-hmm. And from, from now on, you'll remember it in red, even though it was, was blue or you didn't even notice it. In other words, your mind uh, will recreate the memory based on, or one might even say your brain will recreate that memory ba- based on a suggestion that was uh, given to you, uh, not even deliberately, but just in passing. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And and we, we often fill in memories to be consistent with, with some overall pattern. 
for example, well, I'll give you a personal example. I grew up in a small town, four or 500 people. I had my best friend. Uh, we were together all the time. Uh, we walked to school together. We walked home together. And uh, a, a few years ago, I, I, I lost track of him when I left to go to university. A few years ago, we were uh, together at a reunion in the town. And I talked about how for all those years through primary school and high school, we were together all the time. And he said, but but hold on, you, you do remember that from grade 8 to grade 11, I was not in town. I moved with my parents to another town, came back for grade 12. He said, no, no, I, we were together all the time. Well, it turns out we were together in the summers. But that was shocking to me. And the only reason I mention it now is that I think all of us have 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 these kinds of mistakes sort of ingrained into our recollections, but we don't recognize them because we rarely have the opportunity mm -hmm. to test them out. Mm -hmm. I'd like to come back to a point you raised earlier because it, it's sort of surprising to me, and I gather that it's uh, justified by research, that when we try to remember an event, we actually picture it from a, a stance that is somewhat behind where we were and above where we were. Yeah, this is what most people report. And I, I think, I, and I, I do this uh, uh, with my students every year in my class. I have them close their eyes and imagine them either at breakfast or, or lying on the beach uh, the last time they were at the beach. And again, what they immediately realize is that if, if they were actually looking, if their eyes were like a tape recorder, if their memory was like a tape recorder, then their, their position on the beach, their nose would be in the sand, <laughs> would be looking at people's feet, they, they would have to turn their head to look at the water. But in fact, what they'll always report is, yeah, I see, my, they, 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 they get a little trouble when they say, I see myself lying on, because, uh -huh. but they, they, they see where they would be lying. They see perhaps some kind of fuzzy representation of themselves. But it happens so quickly, they don't even realize how odd this is mm -hmm. until you pointed out this is a reconstruction i'm wondering as as we're speaking about it i'm just sort of speculating to myself if this might have anything to do with uh, the propensity for people to report out-of-body experiences well i i, I, I think there's something similar involved and that mm -hmm. is that um you know the, the the brain is always trying to create a model of the outside world that that uh, that allows us to function mm-hmm and so most of the time, uh, you know, if we're wide awake and so forth, it's just a perceptual organizational thing, as I've already discussed a little bit. In memory, uh, we, we tend to have, as I just said, this, we, well, the, the brain looks for an economical way to put together as much information as possible. And so that same mechanism, if you're in a situation where you come to believe you're outside your body, well, here's an example I use in my class. If you don't mind me going through yeah. a bit of a long example, I, I say to students, how many of you have ever felt your leg go to sleep? And they'll all put up their hands. And I say, okay, imagine that both legs go to sleep, and now your arms go to sleep, and your whole torso goes to sleep, and your whole body goes to sleep. So you're not getting any input, and you're lying with your eyes closed. And let's add to that a little bit. You're drowsy, uh, and your brain is trying to make sense of where you are. And now you, you hear voices because you can still hear your eyes are closed and people are saying, you know, get him on the gurney or whatever. You, you realize you're in a hospital and your brain is trying to make sense of this. And so it tries to construct an image of where you are. And like looking at yourself on the beach, the most economical way to get as much information as possible is to see yourself or imagine yourself lying there in the gurney with the nurses and doctors around you. So, again, the same mechanism. 
sometimes called autoscopy, when uh, a, right. a person has the experience of uh, consciousness exterior to the body. And, uh, of course, uh, this is, it's commonly reported in hospitals. It's commonly reported when parapsychologists and others survey people about their unusual sure. yep. experiences. So it's a rather common experience that might, in many instances, certainly have a conventional explanation. Um, another issue is uh, hypnosis and suggestibility. People are, I mean, we know under hypnosis that uh, people are capable of uh, extreme changes in their belief system. They can uh, imagine themselves seeing things that are not in front of them or vice versa. Something can be in front of them that they won't even see. Well, yes, this hypnosis is a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, and as I've explained in the book, the, the, I, I believe the best way to look at it is in terms of heightened suggestibility, mm -hmm. so rather than some special state. There's no evidence at all that our, our brain waves change or that we're in some special state of consciousness. But some people are more suggestible than others. And what happens in such a case is then they um, come to believe, usually through the hypnotic process, that they have lost control. Of, of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, uh, one common uh, induction technique is to have a person hold out their arm and, and you say it's getting heavier and heavier and it starts, well, of course, pull out your arm long enough, it gets heavy anyway because mm -hmm. of the muscle fatigue. But but it, it gives the impression that the hypnotist has, has control. The hypnotist is causing this. And once you start to, 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 to transfer this, this belief in control of what's going on to the hypnotist, then you're putty in that person's hands. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, uh, I, I've done a lot of hypnosis over the years, uh, partly in my clinical practice, although I, I, end, I ultimately stopped doing that because it, 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 it turned out to me to be counterproductive. I, I wanted people uh, who were responding to, to clinical intervention to see themselves as having the power of what they're doing, not the hypnotist. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but it is remarkable what people will report. And, uh, it's also remarkable the differences in suggestibility. Some some people are very um, unaffected. Some are very resistant. They're so they're afraid because we've heard so much about hypnosis, and uh, and 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 part of it also is what we've heard about hypnosis. People expect certain things because we've had this this fed to us for so many years. The hypnotist takes over your mind, takes over your body, makes you do things, and. Uh, so it's, I, I see it always in terms of heightened suggestibility. And you get people uh, in the field of criminology. That's my background partially. I have a master's degree in criminology. And when I was a student, there was the famous Son of Sam case right. going on in, in New York. where he, Here you had a man who committed murders who uh, believed he was being instructed to do so by a voice. Right. Uh, that he heard. And uh, that's not at all uncommon. It's as if the some kind of internal voice has hypnotic power over an individual. Right. And I, I don't know uh, the details of that particular case, but we had a case here in Canada a few years ago where um, a young man uh, traveling on a bus in Western Canada at night suddenly uh, kills the man beside him and chops off his head and uh, it turns out he was suffering from undiagnosed schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. But he he uh, reported that God had told him that this is an alien beside you. You've got to save the world. 
uh, he's going to kill you if you don't kill him first. Well, if, if that's what he is hearing, even though it's a product of his own brain, if he believes this is God talking to him, if he believes this is an alien, then he's acting in an irrational manner, given that belief, in a rational manner that should make him a hero to everyone. He's saving the world. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it's difficult for the general public to, to understand this. It's so much more, uh, appealing is the wrong word, but, but much easier to see this person as a, as a, as a criminal. Uh, yeah, maybe he has some mental problems, but he's a criminal. He killed somebody. He, he needs to be punished for it rather than treated for it. Now, in this particular case, this man, uh, was in confinement for quite a while. He's now out on, uh, on supervised parole, I believe. But that still creates pe problems for some people because they can't separate sort of mental illness from criminality. Mm -hmm. But anyway, getting back to your point, he's hearing something inside his head which seems to be coming from outside. I've noticed, in fact, I, I um, used to do psychotherapy myself as a criminology right. student. I was doing psycho group therapy in San Quentin prison with murderers and, and sex offenders and... Uh, one of my experiences in encountering people who have psychotic delusions is that there's no possibility of challenging those delusions from a rational perspective. They just dig in and, and defend them all the more strongly. Yes, and I, and I think they're acting in a way that we would act with our mm. beliefs. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone tried to challenge the belief that the, that the world is a globe or that there are people living inside the earth, you defend, you know, you'd argue very strongly against that, and 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 they're doing the same because mm -hmm. they have beliefs that to us appear bizarre. I guess it's fair to say that at the extreme, you do get cases of psychosis where people have uh, these. Uh, really, uh, well, I'll just call them bizarre. They seem untenable, but they're certainly bizarre. They, they cross the boggle threshold, uh, uh, so that most people, including myself, simply cannot go there and uh, accept that belief. But for those people, that belief uh, is uh, an absolute certainty. Well, yes, and it's, again, based on what, what they take to be a direct experience of the outside world. Yeah. Uh, on occasion, it's going to be true that beliefs that cross the boggle threshold might be true. That's always possible, but that's, that's a problem that society has, right? Because uh, across the centuries, most beliefs that have been of that nature have, have proven to be untrue. Yeah. But occasionally, occasionally there have been... Uh, well, look at the, the history of science itself. Mm -hmm. uh, beliefs by one or two uh, people who seem to be scientific oddballs, in some cases, have proven to be prescient, have, have, have now been become part of, of modern science. But most of the time, that doesn't happen. When we think about um, memory and, and perception, there's been a big controversy in psychology about uh, false memories that get actually implanted by therapists who, I, I assume these therapists think they're doing a good job, but it normally has to do with people who are under hypnosis, who under hypnosis recover what they believe are memories of childhood sexual assault. And there's an enormous controversy as to whether or not these assaults actually occurred there's there's no need for such controversy because uh, we we know the mechanisms that can produce these false memories mm -hmm. and you know i've done a lot of uh court testimony in cases like this just simply talking about memory mm -hmm. and and one of the things that i remember 
one of the things that, that occurred in one trial was that the the therapist was called to the stand, and the the lawyer examining her asked her uh, how many cases of false memory or not? Pardon me, not false memory. How many cases of, of childhood sexual abuse recovered memories that she dealt with? And she said, "Oh, many, many." He said, "Of your caseload, how many uh, at present are in the process of, of recovering memories?" And she said, "Well, almost all of them." And he said, "Then how many of them were referred to you because of suspicions of sexual abuse?" And she said, "Oh, none." He said, "Well, what were they referred to?" Well. One person wanted to stop smoking, another person wanted to lose weight, another person was unhappy with her husband. They all had no notion at all, no suspicion of ever having been sexually abused. And then you get into this process. What is the process? Um, and I've, 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 I've talked to some women who have had these, quote, memories produced and ultimately have come to disbelieve them. But the process is pretty clear. You've got a therapist who believes that Childhood sexual abuse is an endemic problem that many people with all sorts of other ailments, whether it's overweight or smoking or whatever, uh, these are just manifestations of, of uh, the suppressed memory of child abuse. And so they start to look for it. And they look for it through things such as hypnosis, which we know will produce all kinds of, 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 of memories that are based on, on suggestion, as well as so-called guided imagery, right, mm -hmm. where... In one case, a person might cut out pictures from a magazine and let them fall on the floor and make stories out of them, people, uh, mothers, fathers, etc., etc. And, and so typically then what happens is someone, you know, the suggestion is made of sexual abuse and the, and the client gets very upset. No, no one ever abused me. Well, now you're assured that this is a typical reaction when, when you're touching on a repressed memory. Mm. This is taken as evidence that there's something there. And the therapist, in all good faith, uh, believing that she or, or he is doing the right thing, now starts to overcome the normal reality testing of the individual. Yes, you, you, you think your father never could have done this. That's because this happened and, and, and you're trying, your, your unconscious mind is trying to protect you from the truth. And so your reality testing is chipped away at and, and gradually you're, you're almost Force, well, you've got a choice. You either leave the therapist or you, 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 you start to accept this truth. And then if you look at books like the famous Courage to Heal, which became a best-selling Bible for people who may or may not have been uh, uh, assaulted in childhood, it, it deliberately tells you that you should break down your reality testing. It says, if you think that these incipient memories are false, then they're probably true because this is a sign, <laughs> right? So, so the poor, the poor client is caught in a situation where uh, the the only way out seems to be to accept the supposed reality. And then once you do that, of course, all the anger, all the hurt, all the feelings that would normally accompany the genuine experience flood forth. You start to have dreams and nightmares about it, which are taken to be confirmation. An instance, I suppose, of one person imposing very innocently, I suppose, imposing their belief system on another person. And in the therapeutic context, uh, one person has, you could say, more power in that relationship. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned power because... That's, that's really important. The, 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 the client trusts the therapist or, or the client wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always thought about therapies in general, whether they're good therapies or, or, or bad therapies. What they do is 
provide the structure, framework. So, so for example, um, I talked to somebody once who had uh, become involved in Scientology. Mm-hmm. And I asked her why she had taken up Scientology. Well, she had been having some, some real problems with depression, anxiety, self-doubt. She'd been to counselors. This hadn't helped. And one day she walked along the street and saw this sign for free personality assessment from the Church of Scientology, went in <clears throat> and was assured that they understood exactly what was wrong with her and that her, her problems weren't of this world but of some existence thousands of years ago on another planet. And they were so nice to her, she said, that she had to give this some serious thought. And after a few more visits, she was so relieved because now she knew that not only was her problem not of her making in this life, but that there were people who understood it and could help her get over it. So they were giving her a framework mm-hmm. which gave her reassurance that there's a way out of these emotions. And I suppose, suppose this dynamic is uh, something that you would find in many uh, cult situations where people uh, become part of a community because of the comfort that it provides, but then they end up uh, having to uh, accept a, a belief system. Absolutely right. You know, it reminds me, I was once uh, approached by a, a, an anti-cult uh, activist. He, he led a, a local group who were absolutely opposed to cults, and he wanted, he wanted my advice on something or other. But I talked to him. Why was he so strongly anti-cult? Well, because he'd been in a cult for, for two or three years. And, and uh, well, then I asked, why is it that you became involved in the cult? And that was very revealing. He had, mm-hmm. he had been in a difficult time in his life. He, he'd, uh, gone to this this meeting, he didn't realize it was a cult, but he said he felt so accepted, so much at home. Everyone was so nice to him, and it it really appealed to his needs. Mm-hmm. And it took him years before he realized that uh, that this was not the path to personal salvation. And and as a result, now he was was so vociferous in his opposition that it was almost uh, unrealistic. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was he was almost seeing these people as satanic. <laughs> Whereas they'd once been attractive. You know, the very notion of satanic, the notion of evil, that uh, people can use that as a label for other people who they feel in opposition to, uh, I think uh, is one of the reasons that we have such uh, harsh divisions in our country. Well, I think that's, that's, that's true. It's, it's so easy. You know, we, 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 people often find it easier to explain uh, ideas, beliefs, behaviors they don't agree with as reflecting some ultimate evil mm-hmm. rather than, uh, and, and, and even, you know, going back to my book and, and the opening chapter, I tried to talk about um, uh, the, the, the terrorists, the ISIS, the, 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 the Taliban and so forth, that we, 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 it's easy for us to say these people are just evil. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet if, if we put ourselves inside their heads, they would see themselves as as people striving to help their own their own community, freedom and, fighters. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I used the example of uh, you know if if, if during World War II uh, someone from the West uh, snuck into uh, a meeting of, of Hitler and his and his top officers and, and 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 set off a bomb, we would see that person as a hero. Uh, someone who is trying to save the world from evil, whereas the Nazis would see him as a suicide terrorist. Yeah. Right? So, so we, 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 in order to understand other people, we, we have to try to avoid simply explaining 
their behavior and their beliefs in terms of this ultimate evil, because mm-hmm. that gets us nowhere. Uh, another thing you point out, which I, I think is very interesting, is the uh, positive benefits that people uh, get from various belief systems. I, I think you point to some research that uh, shows that, that people who are uh, always optimistic, even if their optimism is unrealistic, tend to be healthier and live longer. Well, yeah. The, the, I mean, here's the thing: if you if you sit around and read, uh, you know, you look at your age group and, and the statistics for for cancer or heart attacks or whatever, whatever, uh, and you say, "Oh my goodness, maybe maybe I'm not going to live another 50 years." Uh, it's easy to get a little downcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are um, optimistic tend to downplay those kinds of statistics that tend to ignore them yeah and and uh, and so as a result they're they're likely to continue to act as though they're going to live for a while therefore it's good to stay in shape therefore it's good to socialize and do all these things which in, in turn are actually beneficial to one's health there's also the placebo effect in in medicine that uh, one of the most powerful effects, actually, to, to my knowledge, in, in the field of medicine and consistent is the placebo. Well, I think a better way to describe it is the, the placebo response okay. rather than the effect, because the response is what, what's, what's important here. And, and the evidence shows that you know, in, 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 in popular descriptions of the placebo right now, it's being described as somehow in itself curative or... or, or having treatment effects yeah it, that's that's not what happens what happens is that um, if you take a placebo and you think you've received good medicine first of all you're going to feel relieved oh the doctor is in you know, i'm going to mm-hmm. be all right so as a result you're likely to sleep better you're likely to eat better you're likely to have less autonomic service uh, autonomic nervous system arousal Mm-hmm. Uh, your stress level is down, and so you're giving your body a better chance to to recover anyway. Um, and what's interesting is that you know it's not just the placebos themselves; it's what we associate with them. So it turns out if people get red pills rather than blue pills, the effects tend to be different because oh. people associate different things with red and with blue. <laughs> it's quite bizarre, but it has but it has to do with how we are interpreting. Uh, our situation. I'm going to be okay now because I've, I've got the medicine. Are you suggesting that uh, the, the belief system uh, is or is not involved? It seems there's a little ambiguity there. No, it, it certainly is involved. Yeah. Right. If, if someone came along uh, and 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 provo- you know perform some kind of ritual that doesn't fit within your belief system about how medicine works, I mean, if someone came along and and, and shook a uh, a, a prayer rag above you, or a, a, a medicine uh, a rattle from mm-hmm. from some indigenous group, you'd say, well, "Get away from me! I don't like that noise." Yeah. But if you grew up in that indigenous group and associated that that rattle with with healing, then you're likely to experience a placebo effect. So beliefs are extremely important. And I would imagine suggestibility also comes into play. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, and, and again. Uh, you know, you can take some people who are very cynical about everything um, and, and uh, as a result, are not very suggestible. Others, uh, at the other end of the, the extreme, very suggestible. And uh, so the more suggestible you are, the more likely it is that you will have a, have a belief that says, okay, I'm going to be all right now. 
and you you can think about it just in terms of general general stress levels. If you're if you're shaking because uh, uh, you know someone has told you there's a gunman just outside your door, and you're shaking and your heart is pounding a thousand times a minute, and and then the police come in and say it's okay, he's gone. Uh, right away, your heart slows down. You feel better. Well, mm -hmm. in in a sense. Uh, it's your beliefs that are changing your autonomic response. You, mm -hmm. you believe there's no danger, whereas a moment ago you believed there was danger. Well, that's very interesting because uh, it sort of points to the the whole question of the mind-body interface, how how our belief systems actually affect our physiology. Oh, ab absolutely. And again, uh, you know, the... the, the one of the most important elements of that is this this autonomic nervous system response. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you were to hook up a, a monitor to monitor your heart rate and uh, and and then think about certain things, uh, you could change your heart rate simply by imagining a very gory scene where where someone is covered in blood, etc., etc., etc. Or on the other hand, you think about something very relaxing. And of course, this is the whole basis of, of meditation and so forth. Uh, you know, in, in some meditation forms, the idea is try not to think about anything. Mm -hmm. in, in other people try to think of a pleasant scene. But in either case, what they're doing is trying to uh, reduce the arousal of the autonomic nervous system so that the, the, the parasympathetic system associated with relaxation becomes dominant. And so all these things associated with relaxation lower heart rate, lower blood pressure, your stomach can now start to digest if there's food in it, opposed to the autonomic arousal with the sympathetic system where heart rate increases, your liver starts breaking down fats into, into sugar, you get these, these stress hormones that uh, the course through the bloodstream. Um, the, 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 the beliefs, the thoughts... Can, can turn you one way or the other on this dimension. It's very interesting how that occurs. I, I don't yes. know that the mechanism is actually all that well understood yet. I, I, I think philosophers are still debating the whole issue of the mind-body interface. Well, if you think of it as the brain-body interface, it's mm -hmm. not quite so mysterious, right? Yeah. That, that our our thoughts uh, reflect brain activity. Mm -hmm. And... and uh, and that might still be a philosophical mystery, how we can have the experience of thought yeah. produced by by the physiology of the brain. But but certainly the connection between brain and body isn't nearly so mysterious. Now, we started our discussion in, in which you pointed out that we are all susceptible to irrational beliefs. Uh, right. Nobody is, is free, and, and maybe the people who pride themselves the most on being rational are, are some of the most susceptible. I, I, I try not to get irritated with people, uh -huh. but I, I, I'm, I'm never irritated by people who have crazy beliefs. I mean, I, I really mean that sincerely. I may not agree with the beliefs. I may think they're being quite irrational, yeah. but they're genuine. Mm -hmm. The people who irritate me the most are the ones who are convinced that they're rational. They, they never make mistakes and because they're dogmatic, mm -hmm. dogmatic, and they are unwilling to look at themselves. And I think that every one of us can be fooled. Every one of us is fooled from time to time. Every one of us has beliefs that, that, that seem true but aren't. And unless we're open to that, yeah. we're never going to have any opportunity to discover 
where our weaknesses lie. You conclude your book by listing a number of strategies uh, that we can all use to help uh, examine ourselves to see where we might be uh, caught up in a self-deception. Yes, and one of the one of the most important notions is you know if we if we just simply ask ourselves how do I know this. Mm-hmm. How do I know this? I mean, I do that myself, and sometimes I'm embarrassed. No one else knows I'm asking this, so I'm not embarrassed publicly, <laughs> but embarrassed inside my head because I think I have a very strong belief about this, but I don't really have any evidence. Mm-hmm. And this can certainly be the case when it comes to evaluating people or politicians. You know, so I'll ask my students in the Canadian context, I'll, I'll mention a Canadian politician that most students don't like, and I'll say, okay, why don't you like this person? And they'll say, well, policies. What policies? Press them; they can't come up with anything, mm. and and there's there, they, they they express surprise. They don't really have a way of defending this. It's a kind of a gut reaction, but just recognizing that 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 you're reacting to to to, to your intuition rather than but but trying to persuade yourself is based on fact is a step forward. Yeah, and I suppose we're we're all forced to kind of trust various information sources. It's very rare that a person can do all the original research themselves to get to the bottom of any question at all. That's absolutely right, and especially in this incredibly rapidly changing world of ours where, where uh, things that seemed possible or seemed impossible 10 years ago are possible now. And so it's, it's really hard to, to, to be able to evaluate on your own many statements about even, you know, well, take something like autonomous vehicles, right? I mean, yeah. 10 years ago, I think everyone would have said, oh, that's not going to happen for a century. Well, now they're right around the corner. But um, so, but how do I know they're around the corner? <laughs> People are telling me that. Right? Yeah. I have no way of evaluating that. Mm-hmm. So, so we're, we're, we're always left. And, and, and so you have to try to make uh, the best effort to evaluate our sources. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the wise person will try to, to find different perspectives. Whereas the person who's less wise tends to go with, you know, Take this example. You'll see every now and then articles that cell phones cause cancer. Yeah. And I've had this discussion not too long ago with somebody. Uh, I point out that uh, if you look carefully at the evidence, there's, first of all, from the point of view of theoretical physics, this uh, seems extremely unlikely because the kind of radiation that cell phones put out is non-ionizing. Mm. It is not going to cause cancer. Secondly, Large, large, large studies find no effect. But if people don't look at those studies, or more importantly, if they resist them because they've already made up their mind, this new technology, these cell phones, is going to fry us all. Yeah. And then they're they're left with 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 beliefs that they think are are based in fact, and they're not. I think mm-hmm. we always have to try to look at different perspectives. We learn more from the the the, the differences that we see that rather than basing ourselves on one steady stream from one source. The cell phone cancer debate will probably go on for many, many years. And as I recall, the cigarette cancer debate took decades. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I think as well about the microwave debate. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't hear anyone being frightened around the microwave anymore. But for a long time, there, there, you could buy microwave detectors because maybe your microwave oven is... The, and I think the history of technology has been like this, that every every new introduction produces some fear, mm-hmm. and especially when it's things you can't see, such yeah. as microwaves or 
or, or, or radio waves or whatever. Uh, and so it, it, it uh, but it, it's also something that kids growing up with cell phones are not going to be worried about. You know, yeah. a, a, a 10-year-old has a phone today. By the time she's 40, she's not going to say, is this hurting me? Mm -hmm. I'm 40 years old. I've had it close to my body for all these years. I'm mm -hmm. still here. So I think the, the fear will, 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 will diminish. But then there'll be some new technology that will produce some new fear. But for many questions like this, health issues or safety issues, you're going to have experts on both sides arguing for their position. So the average consumer uh, has to make a decision who they trust. That's right. But but again, I, I think that's the case with most of our beliefs. I mean, yeah. again, uh, get back to, to, to politics. Uh, uh, any report that you see on television, do you do you trust the journalist who, who made the report? Because you can easily find some other journalist who will have a totally different interpretation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that, yeah. we, we all, I mean, I know I do this. I have my trusted news sources. I, I don't think they're infallible, yeah. but I, I, I trust them. And I there are some news sources I do not trust at all. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and maybe I'm kidding myself, but, but uh, you know, I have to, I have to try to, uh, from time to time, sort of run a check on that and say, hold on, am I being too too uh, easily persuaded by my favorite news sources? Pretty much we're all in that position these days, yes. especially in our country, where you have, uh, you know, one group of people saying the press is the enemy of the people and the other group saying, no, the press are the heroes of <laughs> right. yes. of, of the people. And uh, I Personally, I, th um, I have a cousin who's a professor of journalism, and, and I know that people who, the thousands of people who are practicing journalism are by and large dedicated to reporting the truth as best they can. Yes, yes. So, uh, for me, I tend to trust them, but I get viewers who say, you know, you're a fool if you trust the media and you, you don't realize they're all controlled by cartels. And Well, you know, I... I uh... I recently gave a talk on propaganda, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the things that I, I discovered was that, that Hitler in his book Mein Kampf has a whole chapter in propaganda. And one of the things he points out is that for propaganda to work well, the first thing you've got to do is discredit the press. Mm -hmm. He talked about the Lugan press, the lying press. Yeah. And, 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 and that's this kind of, uh, and Hitler wasn't the only one who had this notion, uh, uh, other propagandists did as well. But I, I think that's somehow it's there, there's there's more than just belief involved. There's principle, and if we have the the principle that a free press is important to democracy, then it seems to me, at least from my belief system, mm -hmm. that when someone starts attacking the press, that that itself is a danger signal, regardless mm -hmm. of anything else. And and I can well imagine that from the perspective of of those people, uh, uh, the, the, that the the general mill of the population who trust the press are like sheep being led to the slaughter. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, so I suppose the bottom line in in all of this is. Uh, Beliefs, you started out by saying, beliefs are all based on trust. Right. We have to ultimately have some trust in the sources of our beliefs. And uh, what we need to do, uh, all of us, is uh, from time to time at least, is to question the uh, basis of that trust. That's right. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, James Alcock, it's been a pleasure having this discussion with you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing this time with me. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. And I look, I look forward to a subsequent discussion and we'll get into more of the details of the paranormal and parapsychology. Great. I look forward to that myself. Mm -hmm. 